3: recorded live. Now, views and opinions on Nation Talk are not necessarily
4: views of Talk Hue, Generated Productions, com
3: and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk.
4: You're listening to the Jam Radio Network. This is your Sunday evening forum, Nation Talk. Nation Talk is a live public affairs program that deals with issues concerning you. From the studios of Savannah, Georgia. To gain the conversation, call 1724-444-7444, call ID number 55519 one nine pound. That's 1724-444-7444, call ID number 55519 one nine pound.
3: Gavin DeGraw for RAD, recording artists,
5: actors, and athletes against drunk driving. In less time than it takes to play your favorite tune, someone will be killed or injured in an alcohol-related crash. If you party, plan ahead. Designate before you celebrate. Sad stories make great songs, but happy endings
1: make better lives. Friends don't let friends stop. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council.
6: live, experience a sea from the sore with Michael Guido of Metter, Georgia.
7: A prodigal became a Christian and he said to his sister, Mary, I've got a new heart. Show me, she answered. And that's what the Bible says, show forth his salvation from day to day, not only on Sunday, but also Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. You're to show it by your life. Witnessing is more than what you say, it's what you are. A girl was asked, under whose preaching were you converted? My mom's practicing, she answered. That's showing your religion from day to day by lip and by life. For your free copy of Dr. Guido's daily devotional, Seeds from the Sower,
8: write
6: The Sower, Metter, Georgia, 304-39.
9: Visit us on the web at thesower.com.
10: Happy holidays, everybody. This is Dave Koz for RAD, recording artists, actors, and athletes against drunk driving. When you're traveling during the holidays and see someone who's got too much to drink about to get behind the wheel of their car, get the car keys. Your friends will thank you for it, because
1: friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. You're always-
4: to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Now, views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily views. i talk to you, Jam Radio Productions, com and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. Good evening and welcome to Nation Talk your Sunday evening form. Tonight, it, we're going to talk about crime and punishment. November 22nd, 1863, 52 years later. Also, some other news and other things that have been going on lately. Like the song says, where we well, get you through the night, that's what... We're
3: going to talk about. I don't know if this is a fair question or not, but is being poor a crime in America? Is being poor a crime in America? a crime in America? New legislation may make it mandatory
9: for people applying for social services to take a mandatory drug test. Are poor people also the majority of drug users? We'll answer these questions and more this week on American Dream. I'm your host, Nisa Islam. Need to be poor in America. In 2009, 43.6 million people were poor. Everything is harder to do when you're poor. If you're looking for food, groceries cost more, the quality is less. Without a car, it takes you longer to get where you have to go. Without health insurance, sometimes you have to sit in a neighborhood clinic for hours waiting for service. Housing tends to be in poor neighborhoods where there is high violence. Income levels lead to poor schools and on and on and on. Let's watch this short
3: video that describes life when you're poor in America. Well, I've been homeless oh, about,
11: about 15 years. My work career was a truck driver
3: for the past 20 years. I developed arthritis, and I had to get off the truck and all that stuff it's had a job I'll find something it, but it's it's not like that um
9: I've been unemployed since two thousand and four. This is two thousand and seven
3: almost half of all Americans. their lives 37 million Americans are living below the
12: official federal property level
13: there's there's
14: families that's out here on the street a mom and her kids sleeping on the lower wacker drive cold as it's being, sleeping on a lower wacker
6: drive when mom goes to sleep the little kids are up watching over her and that's saying in the richest nation on earth Thirty-seven million people are living in poverty, one in eight Americans. Men and women, black and
11: white, young and old.
5: Medication bills are so high, even with the new program that they have out for us, and uh, what they call the donut hole in the middle of the year, it's it's just impossible to make ends meet.
15: Every year, my stepdad, he gets laid off work, so it's my the family. And during the whole winter, we don't
16: have, like, like food, and so we come here, food, yeah, because we have, like, a hard time.
6: It's not because they aren't trying. They have jobs, they work, but they still come up short.
9: It's not that I choose to be homeless or anything. I can't afford to live anywhere, and I'm living basically... You know, from one person
7: to another. Never thought I'd ever end up like this.
6: But I didn't have no choice. Because I'm all on my own. And my family, and everybody is gone. So. One American stricken by poverty is a personal tragedy. 37 million poverty-stricken Americans is a national disgrace. They, when you see Americans, they're on the planet. You pay no attention to them. Turn the TV off or you're not talking to us. We don't. I'm not even on the pay scale. I had to go to one program to be two hundred percent below the poverty level to go. And I met the criteria.
4: Our government, they 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 say that they're gonna help us. They make all these promises to us. When they get in office, they forget all
6: about us and leave us out on the streets with nothing. With nothing, no support, no nothing. And
17: it hurts.
12: When are we going to put an end to it?
6: For the wealthiest nation in the world, putting an end to poverty is not a matter of money. It's a matter of will. Do we have the will?
11: Do we even care?
9: It, it, it's not just you know people that you know drinking or walking on the streets or anything. Children, babies, you know, people that actually work. It's it's changed, and we have to do something about it. All of us together. Life is bad enough when you're poor. Now add to that the social stigmas, the stereotypes that accompany being poor in America. On the streets of D.C., I ask people, what are some of the stereotypes of poor people?
16: Okay, well, sometimes, I don't know how I'll just put it this way, I know how. Some of them think that if they see that you're poor, some people some, uh, want to ask you funny things. See, sometimes, what well, it is, a lot of people don't know how you got to that point. See, sometimes you can want to poor losing a job. You can have a, a full-time job and still be kind of homeless because you constantly like paying rent, paying you to the that takes all your money. So I've been in a situation before, so I can relate. That I had a full-time job before, but I was still kind of like, huh?
13: Being homeless, uh, undereducated, those are the things that come to mind.
16: There's it's people who
13: are still
9: struggling. Okay, people who are living from paycheck to paycheck, they may not, some people may not think they're poor, but the person that's working every day and don't see no money coming in their pocket at the
3: end of a two-week pay period, poor. They don't try hard enough. Lazy. Poor motivation, which is really the same thing. Um, Maybe uh, lack of education.
17: They
16: should never look down on people like that because there's a lot of uh, people that walk walk the streets that you can't ever tell that that's been homeless before or are on their way to homelessness. Uh, I feel like people shouldn't really judge anybody because they could be like, you know, like in a safe situation. I mean it, it can happen to anybody. You can look you can look good but as I love anybody else and still be homeless. I asked
9: Diane Sims moore executive director of Family First D C an organization that serves low-income families to describe some of the social stigmas about being poor?
15: Just to name a few, uh, poor people are typically classified as being lazy, uh, unmotivated, lack of uh, caring uh, either about themselves or their families. It's always a negative connotation when people are talking about the poor.
9: I'm on my way to interview Elizabeth Mauerbeck at the Center for Law and Social Policy. She's an expert on the criminalization of poor people.
0: Well, I think there's a lot of stereotypes about poor people and why they're poor, and I think people tend to want to attribute it to personal bad choices and not to our economy, even though we're just coming out of one of the worst recessions in our time. I'm in Langston dwellings the oldest
9: subsidized housing complex in Washington, D.C. I'm here to interview Kenneth Butler, who runs the Healthy Living Program, which also organizes the community garden.
11: The main ones are that everyone that's poor are either criminals, uh, been incarcerated, um, looking to work the system, and then are lazy and shipless.
9: Due to America's economic crisis, More and more people have lost their jobs and their homes, forcing them to seek assistance from the government. As difficult as it is, for many families it may get harder because in 30 state legislatures across America, politicians have proposed drug testing of applicants for and recipients of temporary assistance to needy families. Many have proposed also extending it to recipients of other public benefits as well, such as unemployment insurance, Medical assistance and food assistance. Many think this is an attempt to add more obstacles to families' access to desperately needed aid. Let's hear the debate in the Missouri State Legislature.
15: We're putting uh, jeopardizing a family's uh, future and security by not giving them an alternative to using drugs. People need treatment. People are drug abusers. They are ill. They need to get well. And I think that our $2 million, upwards of $2 million um, fiscal note might be better spent supporting and ensuring that those people who are abusers get treatment so that they can come back and be productive members of of our society, holding down a job, taking care of their families going forward.
5: Taxpayers do not have any sympathy at all for using their hard-earned tax dollars to subsidize anybody's drug use. So I know all of us often here out in the community, I don't want any of my tax money going for anybody else's
16: illegal drugs.
9: There's controversy surrounding this legislation. Many people are biased about poor people because of the very stigmas we mentioned earlier. Some people think the poor abuse their social service benefits because of drug abuse but those numbers are few and far between according to research. I asked our experts what were the pros and cons of this type of legislation.
0: The main problem with drug testing is that it assumes that everyone who applies for assistance is a potential drug abuser and it's not a good use of anyone's money and it stigmatizes the people and might chase away some people so that they don't get the assistance that they need. It makes sense to ask people questions and see who might need assistance and refer them to substance abuse treatment. But making everyone who applies for help get tested is just stigmatizing and unfair. It's somewhat difficult to talk about uh, something
15: that I think would have such a serious impact on children about the pros or the cons on that issue, primarily because uh, children are typically the ones who are going to be solely impacted by this. If there is a good side to it, it would be that those individuals who are possibly identified as having some type of mental illness, it is typically known in the um, substance abuse uh, area that individuals who are drug users also have a mental illness. Now, typically they are undiagnosed. So if we are able to take it to another level and not just about uh, penalizing if you test positive, but uh, looking at the situation as a means of helping individuals to become self-sufficient, and how do we do that? Well, if we identify that there is a a problem, then we also take a more deeper look and may discover that there is a mental illness there as well.
11: I see no good in testing anyone in need. If there is an issue with drug or alcohol abuse, that should be addressed on a separate and different level but not through a support system. You shouldn't uh, base someone's need on their drug or alcohol abuse or problem.
9: Proposals to require mandatory drug tests are not new. They took pride in the past, but they failed. Here are some facts. Proposals for mandatory drug testing of TANF recipients are based on stereotypes and not evidence. Proponents often claim that drug testing will save money. However, this is based on a false assumption that many applicants will be denied benefits. Random testing is costly, flawed, and an inefficient way of identifying recipients in need of drug treatment. Moreover, universal random drug testing may well be unconstitutional In 2003, Michigan's drug testing program was struck down as a violation of the Fourth Amendment's protection against searches without reasonable cause. Finally, because sanctions for noncompliance put vulnerable children at risk, state and federal policymakers should not enact more barriers to a safety net program that protects low-income children and families especially during an historic economic downturn and decline in the labor market. I asked our experts how this type of legislation would benefit society.
15: Again, it's one of those uh, hot topics. Does it help society or does it hinder society? We're talking about a group of people who are most of the time unrepresented. Uh, If we look at it as a way of helping the individuals get support that they're not getting, and/or children to be raised in a healthier environment. Then that may overall be a benefit to society because now we're talking about taxpayers. We're talking about individuals who will be able to contribute to society instead of always receiving from society.
11: In my opinion, no, because they'll take away from those that really need it. Everyone on assistance or in assistance programs (coughs) Um, do not use or abuse drugs or alcohol. We have kids out here that are in most need, and today uh, everyone's just a paycheck away from being uh, part of that particular program that they're wishing to um, test you for.
0: I don't think it helps society at all. It's really, I think, just a concern that not, so no one be getting away with something. I think it's there's a fear that people are abusing the system. But in order to go after the one or two people who might be abusing the system, you test hundreds of people. And that's bad for the people, but it's also a waste of society's money to spend all this money on drug tests instead of helping people.
9: Nothing has been done to investigate the long-term or even the short-term effects to poor people and their children with this bill. I asked our experts what were the unforeseen consequences of this legislation.
11: One would be that it would create more homelessness because folks would lose benefits
0: The bill has been enacted, and that one's particularly outrageous because it actually requires people applying for assistance to pay for their own drug test um, before they can get any help. And if you test clean, they say they'll pay you back later, but by the time people come to an assistance office to get help, they might have just enough bus fare to get home, and so asking them to pay for a drug test is really outrageous. In state legislative houses is looking
9: out for the poor are the Republicans pushing this bill are the Democrats pushing it is this a partisan issue
0: it does seem to be pretty partisan um, it's come up in a bunch of states the ideas have been kicked around for several years people keep introducing the bill but mostly they haven't gone anywhere but this year in both Florida and Missouri they have passed bills. so once again Poor people have to carry a weight and burden that others do not.
9: Even if you have to take a mandatory drug test for your job, you are not required to pay for it up front. Poor people need aid and assistance, but it seems bills like this just add more obstacles. Are the poor being criminalized? Yes.
0: Where? It's uh, criminalizing and stigmatizing the poor.
9: So if mandatory drug testing doesn't work, as our experts agree, what are some other solutions to address drug addiction in poor people? I asked our street experts. Well,
16: my, my thing is, I think that it would be a good idea, but some other people I would say it would not be a good idea. Because, see, you have so many people apply for food stamps, unemployment, uh, different of welfare, and there's a lot of people who get offended by that. Because, you know, I say that if they test positive for drugs, they may not qualify, you know, for a food stamp, and that's going to be a problem. You know, they might get into it somebody at the, you know, at the food stamp office. In a way, I think they should touch people who just to be on the safe side to see that they're not using drugs, Because see, if they are using, sometimes they take the food stamp and sell it. See, that, that's probably what they want to do, because you have a lot of people out here doing that. They'll, um, they'll have food stamps, like you said, I qualify for a food stamp. You take the food stamp, you want money for it, and, and they told that that's government money. So you're the government money, and you sell the food that to somebody, so you can get money
11: off that. But well, I, th- I think they should do that. I, th- I think they should um, go ahead and do that, test people for drugs. I mean, my opinion, but I think other people are saying they're not going to go for it. Educate them. Get them jobs. do we'll have to give them a drug test. Don't we'll have to worry about the government's funds because they'll be making their own money.
16: No, it is discrimination. I mean, if somebody's using drugs and they can still get up and go to work and do their
9: own thing and support themselves, then the government shouldn't have anything to do with that. True, they may want to stop it, but a person is going to do what a person wants to do regardless. Okay, and the only thing you can do is put it out there, try to help them. If they don't want to help themselves, then there's nothing that you can do.
18: No, you have to identify the drug users somehow, right? I mean, I would tend to think that self-identification would work better because they're going to be more likely to follow through on the uh, the counseling
16: afterwards. Uh, I think they should go on a, a program, they should uh, go on really a rehabilitation program so they can clear from drugs. And so a lot of people are not going to do that unless they push the door. You have someone to encourage you, like you have a church you go to, you have family or friends trying to help you to get yourself in order because it takes, it, i tell you the truth, it takes tough love to really get somebody to help with drugs, it really does. Because it's not an easy thing. It's like you had to really encourage that person to try to get help with drugs. They're going to want, they're to they have to want the help. So I, I, can, I can advise it, but it's like they feel so that some of so feel they want to keep using, and using, and using, like they're not going to ever get better.
6: Well, I suppose mandatory drug testing would be a great way to help them to find out that they really are drug addicted. And if they're drug addicted, they obviously need social services.
9: Here are the solutions offered by our other experts.
11: First, address their particular issue, uh, whether it be drug or alcohol, uh, seek treatment and counseling, and make it a family-based program where everyone participates in the better good of that particular member of the family getting well and better.
0: Well, the first thing is the availability of treatment, that people who want treatment in many cases can't get it. And particularly if you're a single mom with kids, there are very, very few residential treatment centers where you can bring your kids with you. So a lot of times people are forced to choose between getting the treatment they need and caring for their children.
15: I think we need to put more emphasis on case management. Unfortunately, even in this arena, in the work that we do, we're finding ourselves as one person having to provide case management support to a tremendous high caseload. So you may have one person that's being responsible for over 200 people, and they're having to uh, uh, make sure that they're following their uh, individual responsibility plan, making sure that they're meeting all the requirements of the government, in addition to being available to their children. So I think with case managers will be able to take a look at the whole per- person, look at all of the avenues that may be uh, causing some ne- negative impact.
16: So I think case management
15: would be a good start to put more funds into making sure that each individual who uh, does apply for services does get the, the case management support that they need.
9: Being poor in America is bad enough. Why add insult to injury by further stigmatizing all poor people by lumping them together in one bunch as criminals and requiring mandatory drug tests? America can do better, the poor need it. For Press TV in Washington, I'm Nisa Islam. Thank you.
15: This is Tricia Yearwood for RAD. When you're out partying, please plan ahead and choose a designated driver.
2: I do. Remember, music lives, associate you. What happens when the phone
17: calls?
1: A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council.
15: And now for the weather. Today's weather brought to you by the American Stroke Association.
2: All across America, it's a clear, beautiful day with temperatures in the 70s and not a drop of rain forecasted. However, it seems African Americans can expect a chance of rain, and a chance of hail, a chance of multiple Class 5 tornadoes. And if that's not enough, watch out, a chance of a freak meteor shower later this afternoon. The odds are it's going to be very dangerous out there.
14: It's called the odds and the odds are African Americans suffer almost twice the risk of having a stroke as white Americans. But the forecast doesn't have to be so gloomy. There are steps you can take to help beat the odds. Start by calling 1-888-4-STROKE or go online to strokeassociation.org. Join the power to end stroke. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Hi, this is
5: Johnny, and I am so needy. For Jesus, that is. I need to carve out time to be alone with Him every day. Not take telephone calls, not write letters. Just be alone with Him. And I'm not the only one. Moses was alone with God when the Lord revealed Himself through the burning bush. Paul was alone in the Arabian desert when the Lord gave Him personal instructions about preaching the Word. Mary was alone when the angel brought her the message that she would give birth to the Savior. Isaiah was alone with God when he received his commissioning. Elisha was by himself with the Lord when the mantle fell on his shoulders. Oh, we could go on and talk about Joshua and Jacob, Daniel. They all received a special word from God when they took time to be alone with him. Friend, that's something to remember in your busy day. Be alone with Jesus.
13: for a lift experience a sea from the sore
6: with michael guido of metter georgia
7: her house was burning and the firemen raced to put out the fire but she tripped one and stopped another ma'am asked the chief how do you want your house medium rare or well done she wanted her house saved but on her own terms and there are many who want their souls saved but on their own terms If you're to be saved, it must be by God's terms. It's not by trying, but by trusting. Not by reformation, but by regeneration. Not by the church, but by Christ. Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. For your free copy
8: of Dr. Guido's
6: daily devotional, Feeds from the Sower, write The Sower, Mecca, Georgia,
16: 304-39.
9: Visit us on the web at thesower.com.
16: You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth
4: Jenkins. Now, views and opinions on Nation Talk are not necessarily sort of views, but talk you, Jam Radio Productions, today.com, and its sponsors. This
3: is Nation Talk. When front yards become front lines.
6: At the crossroads of conflict, an epidemic, where there are no hospitals, that's where we operate. Right now, Doctors
19: Without Borders medical teams are operating in some of the most remote and dangerous corners of the world. Your response is critical to our response.
6: Donate now at doctorswithoutborders.org.
20: Protesters fight the cops while crime and murder spike in America's cities. I'm John Phillips, and this is the Rundown. In bloody Baltimore, 29 were shot, 9 were killed over the Memorial Day weekend, bringing the total number of homicides so far this month to a mind boggling 35. That's the highest one month body count in at least 15 years. In Chicago, 43 were shot, including a 4-year-old girl, and 12 were killed over the same weekend. In New York City, the Post reports that you're 45% more likely to be murdered after a spike in killings there. We're going to need to do a Memorial Day for those killed on Memorial Day. Meanwhile, Officer James Bennett, Jr. was shot and killed in a squad car in New Orleans on Sunday. In New Mexico, police officer and Air Force veteran Greg Benner was shot and killed during a routine traffic stop on Monday night. And in Omaha, Nebraska, policewoman Carrie Orozco, who was a Girl Scout leader, a volunteer with the Special Olympics, and a coach at the local Boys and Girls Club, was shot and killed trying to arrest a gang member the day before she was scheduled to go on maternity leave to welcome her infant daughter, born prematurely, home from the hospital. And finally, the St. Louis Cardinals mascot, Fred Bird, is in trouble for being photographed holding the Police Lives Matter sign. In fact, Cardinal's management went so far as to say he didn't know what was on the sign and asked police organizations to remove the photo from their websites. It couldn't be more clear. To protesters, police lives don't matter. As officers continue to be slaughtered and politicians scrutinize and criticize their every action, America's cities are being allowed to collapse into murder and mayhem. As a nation, we're choosing civil chaos over civil order. To explore this question and much, much more, we turn to PJTV contributor Scott Ott from his home studio in Dallas, Texas, and here in Los Angeles, stand up comic and PJTV contributor Stephen Cruiser. Cruiser, we'll start with you. The whole broken windows theory that James Q. Wilson wrote about mm-hmm. and developed that was adopted in cities like New York under Rudy Giuliani, in Baltimore under Martin O'Malley essentially says you need to go after criminals for the small crimes because they're the ones that also commit the big crimes. Mm -hmm. And if you crack down on the small crimes, then you lower the murder rate, you lower the rape rate, you lower the armed robbery rate in the process. The crime went down under O'Malley and Giuliani. Now we're seeing the cops being told to back off by civic leaders. They are backing off, and now crime is going through the roof. Are these numbers proving James Q. Wilson, Rudy Giuliani, and Martin O'Malley to be right? I, yes, I think that if you create an environment that's
10: less friendly to the criminals, the criminals won't function as well. I think very much so. And it's not just, you know, it's not just the arrest. You've got to prosecute them. You've got to put some of them in jail, too. And you, the hue and cry right now is all over, incarceration, incarceration. You know, that's what we're talking about, what happened in the Clinton era. Hillary's now against it all of a sudden. But if you're just arresting them, they're back on the street the next day. They don't fear arrest. You need to get some people arrested, some people prosecuted, some people put in jail. And this, this situation has spiraled so out of hand now. Scott Walker yesterday was being interviewed, and he and I don't want to say cops are gun-shy, but they are. They're afraid of getting shot. They're afraid of getting sued. They can't do their jobs. So we're creating a dysfunctional law enforcement class right now as things are spinning out of control. And what disturbs me most isn't that the people in the street are getting agitated. And you see the, the usual suspects with the with the agitation for the, the, the riots and everything. It's that now, like, St. Louis Cardinal's management wants to come down on the PC side of this. And so it's the people who really have a vested interest. Try to... Th- Try having a Cardinals game with no cops or security there. See how that works out for you, okay? That's what bothers me is that so many people who are sitting in lofty perches away from all of this are going, oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to side with the protesters and the rioters and the anarchy people now. Let's Find out how the anarchy works out for you.
20: Scott, remember back to the 70s and 80s and really even the early 90s when a lot of people in academia were writing about big cities, major American cities, and they were saying... They're ungovernable. Maybe it's just not possible to govern these big cities. And then you got the Rudy Giuliani's and the Dick Rudens and the people that turn things around and prove that you could govern these big cities if you did it the right way. Are these cities falling back to where they were in the 70s and 80s when everyone was saying that they were ungovernable?
8: Well, they're ungovernable if you've got people running them who don't understand how to govern, and that's typically been uh, Democrat controlled councils, Democrat mayors and the people that they've put in place in the positions of bureaucracy in these cities. And, and it's, I, I don't know how this doesn't stick to that party more effectively. But year after year, these same people get reelected. I do know one of the factors is that there's such a low participation rate among the people who are most affected by these policies um, that the people who are able to cling to office are getting elected not by the people in the neighborhoods where the gunfire is being sprayed around, but by people who are in the sort of the collar neighborhoods of those cities you know the 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 mayor of baltimore said uh yesterday or today said you know we need to make sure that we give the police the support they need to find the people who are doing these crimes where was that support when she was shooting off her mouth during the the protest where was that support when she was celebrating the fact that they had arrested six police officers Um, this is the natural consequence of telling people that it's more likely than not that the police have done something wrong if somebody gets injured during a law enforcement action.
20: Is it wrong of me to have a little sympathy when you look at these numbers? And these numbers are horrific, and they they should shock anyone with a conscience. But I still, I'm looking at the paper this weekend, and I'm seeing these numbers, and I say to myself, you know what, if you want to crack down on this, if you don't want this to happen, then you need an aggressive police department that has the support not only of the city leaders but of the community that they serve. And the police department in Baltimore decidedly does not have that. They don't have support from the mayor. They don't have support from the local electeds on the city council. They don't have support from the community. I can't tell you how many interviews I saw during the rioting where people said, we're more afraid of the cops than we are of the bloods in the crypts. Well, okay, if that's your attitude and you want the police to back off, then don't be surprised when you see these murders. Don't be surprised when you see these shootings. I mean, it's almost like a box score, like something you would see uh, for a baseball game. How many people shot? How many people murdered? Do I you have the same sympathy I problem think, I do? Well, and I, no, I don't think you're lacking in sympathy.
10: I think it's a very realistic, you know, it's, it's easy to say they brought this upon themselves, but I'm also, I'm going to go back to this. The outside agitators in each one of these cities were a big problem, okay? Ferguson, there were no Ferguson right. people leading riots in Ferguson. Those were all people shipped in who had the money, who were brought in by other people. In so fact, sir, some of them paid by Acorn. Yes, and, you know, and then in Baltimore now they're mad because they're not getting the checks. They were sent there to, to stir things up. So it's not always the local community that's doing it. There are people who have a vested interest in this anarchy motif that they want to be, become prevalent in America. But I think the other problem is, as you said, it's like a box score. It's statistics. What they do to get the message out is they'll get the picture of the one guy who was hurt or something, and then they'll get a more innocent-looking picture of him if he was a criminal. And then they'll say things like, I, I read a story just two weeks ago about um, the guy, Michael Brown, was that his name, about unarmed, Blackman. That's what they still refer to him as, not, not the one that the Holder Depar- Justice Department decided it was, was a criminal, too. Not the, but they're still referring to him. So they get this out. I think the only way to counter this is with graphic imagery of this bloody violence. You can't just keep throwing numbers at people. It's meaningless to them after a while. It's just, you just become numb to, to that kind of thing. But people, if people are going to have sympathy for what the cops are facing, they're going to have
20: to see this a little better. Scott, the practical result from my point of view, is gonna be people who are appalled by this violence. They're not gonna stay in these cities and vote these idiots out of office that go after the cops, that go after their jugular. They're gonna vote with their feet. They're gonna move out of the cities. We saw a lot of that go down in the 60s when we had the rioting, and people just didn't feel safe in their homes. They moved to the suburbs, they moved to rural America. I could see another mass exodus from America's cities if this doesn't get turned around fast.
8: The ones who can, John. The ones who can, and sadly, the people who are worst, uh, most affected by this kind of chaos, by this kind of anarchy, by this kind of hatred of law and order, are the people who can't. The people who can't live. They're the they're the four-year-old girls with the bullet wounds in their head. They're the little old lady who has to walk. We forget this sometimes. We who live in the suburbs and you know can hop into our four, six or eight-cylinder vehicle and go wherever we please at the drop of a hat. We forget that there are 68-year-old women who have to walk to the bodega on the corner. We forget that there are people whose children have to walk several blocks to school through these free-fire zones created by policies that denigrate the rule of law, that denigrate law and order. And these are the people that we should be most concerned about. I mean, if Republicans really want to align themselves with justice, they need to go to these places, stand with these people, and let the let the in D.C. and the government in these city halls know that we will not stand for this kind of abuse. It's a tiny handful of people, by the way, in these these densely populated neighborhoods who are sowing fear and terror into the hearts of little children and little old women and parents who wonder whether they're going to
20: get to go to their kid's graduation. I've got a prediction for you. It's not going to get better until there's a two-party system in these cities. A one-party system will always produce I agree. It's it's because
10: it's when there's no alternative in any situation, it's bad. But you're right. This is this is uh, we've discussed this a lot. These cities have largely been under the same party's rule for half a century. I mean, not a couple of years. This is a one or two administrations. Baltimore, Detroit, all of them, 50 years at least, and and that's uh, a long time for anybody to come in and do what they want. And there is no accountability for those. And you can see where they're talking about with the police, in, in a lot of people's minds, are, are just part of the government too, and they don't separate that. They, they don't, They, I mean, they, it should be not separated in people's minds. That's what I'm saying. The government they trust here is the same government they don't trust over here, and they need to understand sometimes they're the same things and maybe not keep perpetuating the same stuff. Vote people in who will do something with the police unions that won't allow, you know, it's, that won't allow bad seeds to remain. You need, right. you need, uh, you need. You're right. You need the alternative.
20: Something's got to change. This is horrific. Stephen Cruiser, you get the last word. That's all the time we have for today. But now it's your turn. Will the American people choose chaos over law and order, or are we already fed up with the anti-police movement? Tell us what you think in the comment section below. I'm John Phillips. Thanks so much for watching the Rundowns. Now that our
19: lead story spoke with actor Lavar Burton, a good guy who follows the race situation
3: very closely. there's the fact that reported crime, not convicted crime, reported crime toward African American men mitigate
10: this that reported
19: crime, mostly by other African Americans is overwhelmingly in the black young black man
10: precincts. That mitigate anything? I don't believe it does. I really don't. You have to look at the culture in which uh, the, this bias is held, and you have to look at the imagery of the culture and 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 what the popular
21: culture has turned out in terms of the representation of people of color. How to react, Reverend Jacques? De about
19: so what I'm I trying to get across to Mr. Burton, who's very passionate about. Uh, by the justice system in this country, and the Trayvon Martin case is an extension of that.
3: Look, there's a reason why
11: more
19: young black men are in prison. There's a reason why police are more cautious while approaching a black man in a car. And the reason is overwhelmingly violent crime in this country is generated by young black men. Is
2: it wrong?
21: Well, uh, part of it is geographically based. I mean, all black men are not, dis- uh, are not in high crime areas. So it's not, it's not in the DNA. It's it's geographic. It's in, in, in certain conditions. Well, when, one, how,
8: if, if that's your contention, Reverend,
19: what do you how do you react to this statistic? And this is unbelievable.
21: In
3: 91 percent murdered by other Black Americans. That that
21: cuts across every geographical boundary. By people from the perpetrator. They, they, they're people who are known to each other or function in the same way. But, but that's an astronomical. And it's, a, and, it, and it's a troubling and condemning. And it is the reason why so many of us as leadership in the African American community have been raising this alarm for a long time. You know, your question about uh, does the media cover these kinds of things and how do they cover it, the media does not cover a lot of things in the African American community. Those of us who have been saying there's a crisis. Why here. doesn't he, in your
19: experience,
21: cover Because they don't think it's
19: newsworthy. But it's how not can employment. that be
21: possible? There's
19: almost a holocaust. Do
21: you exactly. realize that Chicago is more dangerous than Afghanistan for it, Americans? Especially black Americans. Right, if that's who's being killed. Because all. Because because, because those who decide what is important in the news don't think that African-Americans and African-American life generally How are important. How can that be possible when they're so liberal of deciders? Because the same, people the same people look at the same set of statistics, despite disparities in health care and a variety of other educational disparities, and they say we're in a post-racial era because Obama got elected president. That's a false uh, I don't believe
19: the New York Times and other liberal entities, NBC News, are, are thinking that way. But I that's, but that's it's what of coverage. They're
5: flat-out afraid
19: of the issue. They're afraid of reporting that blacks are killing blacks in Chicago. Well, if that's, a, it, if that's <laughs> so, then that that's
21: patronizing and condescending. It is, and, and, but that's what's happening. They're afraid of it. For whatever the reason, the fact is that it's having a, a, a tremendously negative effect on the American discussion in general. And, but not only that, it's having a tremendously negative effect on a black community because the problem's not being solved.
19: Absolutely. All right, so more black Americans are dying. And that brings us to Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman. There's no way on earth this trial should be getting this much coverage. And the only reason it's doing it is because it's, it's a light skinned disbandment against the black kid. Well, I, 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 think, I think that the the of the, of the trial and the issue, at least for African Americans, that this man was told by his dispatcher to follow. That's a key to it. Look, it's an interesting case one way or the other because of the stand your ground law, because of the nine one one law. It is. There's no doubt about it. And I'm not complaining about. Let's see how the justice system works here. I'm not complaining about that. What I do fear very much is that if Zimmerman is acquitted, and it looks like he will be,
21: all right, that Black Americans are going to react negatively to that acquittal. Well, I, I, I think Black Americans are are, are reviewing assessing and feel like we are under siege for a variety of reasons, of which this would be just one. The criminal justice system doesn't work. The the, the, the legal system doesn't work. We're very distressed by the findings of the Supreme Court. We're more distressed about the reactions of Congress uh, in general in terms of fair treatment. But all of those grievances,
19: while they are legitimate, Mm -hmm. cannot be applied to a single case of alleged murder. If Zimmerman isn't guilty, he isn't guilty. If the jury
21: finds it that way and you start to have people burning buildings down, there's going to be a major problem. There, there's going to be a problem when people feel that, that they, there's open season for whites to shoot blacks. And, and, and at the heart of that matter, it, it, it lies in the, the cynicism. That well, goes if out they feel it that way,
19: you can't change it, but I'll tell you where there is open
21: season on killing blacks. In our, but, Chicago, but, Illinois. Well, no, it's not just Chicago. Well, that's just too, where the But it's is. in too many American cities. Where, where government has not done and, and black
3: leadership has failed. All right. When front yards become front lines at the crossroads of conflict an epidemic. Where there are no hospitals. That's where Right now, Doctors Without Borders medical
19: teams are operating in some of the most remote and dangerous corners of the world. Your response is critical to our response.
6: Donate now at doctorswithoutborders.org. Neil
19: Riley Factors on tonight. What gun laws can you point to that specifically would have prevented the shooting in
6: in
20: Roseburg, Oregon. Sometimes there isn't a specific law that you can point to that would prevent a tragedy like this from happening.
19: The left continues to call for more gun laws. Even though evidence is mounting, they would not prevent mass killings. We'll have a special investigation tonight.
2: I'm just so darn bummed. All anyone wants to talk about is Donald Trump. Do you think he'll win the primaries? He must. I want to be the one to take him down. Destroy him, and I will mount his hair in the office.
19: Hillary Clinton trying to win over the American public, so how's she doing with that? Charles Krathammer,
6: has some thoughts.
19: Do you have any problems with the United States? Also, my head, Jesse Waters, goes to Dearborn, Michigan, where half the population is Muslim. Can I wear a tie with this? No. <laughs> Caution. You are about to enter the no spin
3: zone. Back to begins right now.
2: You're listening
16: to the CHAM Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Thank
4: you. The views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of Talkshoe, Generated Productions, Silverhead.com, and its
3: sponsors. This is Nation Talk.
19: Bill O'Reilly. Thanks for watching us tonight. The truth about gun crime in America. That is the subject of this evening's Talking Points Memo. As you may know, President Obama and now Hillary Clinton are calling for more regulation of gun sales in the USA. That is bitterly opposed by the National Rifle Association and some other Americans who believe the government should not intrude on the right to bear arms. Of course, there are logical compromises that can and should be made. But the issue is all about emotion not rational thinking. Perhaps the best soundbite I heard after the Oregon massacre was this.
15: I mean, the reality
6: is uh, gun control laws uh, control the behavior of legitimate people. Uh, People who rob stores, people who rob banks, and people
19: who are are insane and want to go ahead and murder don't follow the gun control laws. Of course, that is true. No amount of legislation is going to stop a madman from killing and right now, there are more than 300 million, 300 million civilian-owned firearms in the USA, according to congressional research data. That's just about one gun for every U.S. citizen. So even if you stop gun sales, which is unconstitutional, there would still be 300 million firearms floating around. Now, in order to stop the insanity, talking points will put forth what should happen in the gun arena. First of all, politicians should knock stuff off like this. We have
15: got to keep guns out of the hands of people who should not have them,
5: domestic abusers, people with serious mental health problems. There's got to be a better tracking and record-keeping.
8: Now, Mrs.
19: Clinton knows it's impossible to keep guns away from dangerous people, so why demagogue the issue? However, better tracking and record-keeping would be a good thing. For example, convicts should not be able to buy guns, and the FBI database is there to flag gun sellers to that circumstance. Also, if an American undergoes treatment for mental illness and is hospitalized because of it, that should be in the FBI database as well. Yeah, there are privacy violations here, but the greater good is served by keeping people with criminal records and mental problems away from firearms, correct? Therefore, background checks should be mandatory, even at gun shows and on the net. Conservative Americans who value keeping the peace should back that. Liberal Americans who want all kinds of regulations, in addition to that, are being irrational. Every time I bring up the Chicago murder rate, every time where gun laws are stringent, I get blank looks from the left. They don't want to talk about it, they don't want to hear about it, they have no solutions. Chicago's run by ardent liberals. Gun crimes, there are totally out of control, despite the toughest laws in the nation. So if those tough gun laws don't work in the Windy City, why should they work anywhere else? President Obama and Hillary Clinton. Talking points has said it before. All gun crimes should be federalized and gun laws themselves should be made by the states, with the two exceptions of mental health and convicted criminals. If Texas wants to have lenient gun laws, fine. If Massachusetts wants the opposite, fine. But if someone commits a crime using a gun and is convicted, they should receive a mandatory five years in a federal pen on top of the punishment for the other crime. That would go a long way in stopping the abuse of guns, would it not? Right now in Chicago, cops can fine you with a gun. Little happens in many circumstances. Plea bargains all over the place. That's got to stop. Summing up, the husband of former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, who herself was shot by a madman and badly injured, told the truth yesterday when asked this. What gun laws
10: can you point to that specifically would have prevented the shooting in, in Roseburg, Oregon, or or any of the horrific shooting events we've seen in the last five years or so?
20: You know, it, it, You know, with individual events, I mean, sometimes there isn't a specific law that you can point to that would prevent a tragedy like this from happening. Mr. Kelly, a good man,
19: wants more stringent background checks when guns are sold. But he knows, he knows that laws cannot stop the madness. And that's the memo. Now for the top story tonight, controversy in Roseburg, Oregon, where the killings took place last week. Joining us from that town, David Jakes publisher of the Roseburg Beacon. First of all, Mr. Jakes, uh, now that the investigation is underway, the mother of the killer, whom we're not naming, we're not naming the killer or showing the sick guy's picture, the mother was stockpiling guns in the one-bedroom
22: apartment. Is that correct? Well, Bill, uh, I would agree with you that the mother had guns in in the apartment. The question is, with the use of the term stockpiling, as is being reported by some agencies, that tends to be maybe an inflammatory word. What I would tell you that we know for a certainty, there were 14 guns that this gunman had access to, six of which were recovered on the scene, six of which were recovered in the subsequent investigation at his apartment or eight of which, so that's 14 total, six on the scene, eight in the apartment. But I would suggest, Bill, in Douglas County, that would not be an unusual number in a good number of households. Is that
19: right? In a one-bedroom apartment, one bedroom, 14 guns, and the mom, well, the and you correct me if I'm wrong, the mom, all right, is buying a bunch of the guns and taking the son to the firing range where they don't want to be supervised.
22: Is that correct? Well, it's our understanding that the mom did purchase the guns lawfully. Uh, Whether she is seen accompanying her son at one of the shooting ranges is yet to be confirmed. We've been talking to some of the gun clubs and we're looking to get confirmation on that bill, but as of this hour, uh, that's speculation. All right, that's a report. It would be reasonable. Yeah, I mean, but look, yeah, No matter what,
19: the guy had the, uh, and the mother had the right to buy guns in Oregon because they had no criminal record, but I, I think there's a little madness in here. Just my opinion. I could be wrong. Now, there's a rumor President Obama might go to Roseburg, Douglas County. Uh, the funerals start Thursday, and I guess they will extend into next week. How will the president be treated if he does indeed travel to Roseburg?
22: Well, I think the president, first of all, is not welcome in the community, and that isn't just my opinion. We've talked to dozens upon dozens of citizens, some uh, family members of the victims, uh, our elected officials, and you may have a copy, if you don't, I'd be happy to read from it on the air, that our Douglas County commissioners, along with our Douglas County elected sheriff, who is very popular, and our chief of police, all came to a consensus language about him not being welcome here to grandstand for political all purposes. Right, all right. be enca- to read that or don't it. read
19: it, but just encapsulate why they don't
22: want President Obama to come. Well, the bottom line, uh, Bill, is that a number of people believe that when the president opened his press conference, we still haven't finished counting the bodies on the campus right behind me. We haven't identified whose children were killed and whose were not. And even at that same moment, he is saying, some people will accuse me of, politicizing this issue and he goes on to say but it should be so he not only acknowledged that it could be politicized he was doing so deliberately so now he wants to come to our community and stand on the corpses of our loved ones to make some kind of a political point and it isn't going to be well received not by our people not by the families and not even by our elected officials
19: interesting very interesting well if that happens Mr. Jakes we'll check back real quick real quick go ahead
22: If I may, there's one other thing I'd like to throw in just really quickly. Something else, even on the heels of this rumor the president may come, is that the Westboro Baptists are on the way to disrupt some of these funerals. And we think this is appalling. There's an organized plan to help uh, keep the families isolated from this, but this is just one more potential insult. Yeah, and that would be be horrible
19: if those are the people, the anti-gay people who show up and they blame all tragedies that God is punishing America. We hope that doesn't happen, Mr. Jakes. If it does, you let us know. Thank you very much.
4: We will be back with more Nation Talk. Excuse me, more Nation Talk right after this.
10: Holidays, everybody. This is Dave Koz for RAD, Recording Artists, Actors, and Athletes Against Drunk Driving. When you're traveling during the holidays and see someone who's had too much to drink about to get behind the wheel of their car, get the car keys. Your friends will thank you for it because friends don't let friends drive drunk.
1: A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council.
15: And now for the weather. Today's weather brought to you by the American Stroke Association.
2: All across America, it's a clear, beautiful day with temperatures in the 70s and not a drop of rain forecasted. However, it seems African Americans can expect a chance of rain. Oh, and a chance of hail. A chance of multiple Class 5 tornadoes. And if that's not enough, watch out. A chance of a freak meteor shower later this afternoon. The odds are... It's going to be very dangerous out there.
14: It's called the odds, and the odds are African Americans suffer almost twice the risk of having a stroke as white Americans. But the forecast doesn't have to be so gloomy. There are steps you can take to help beat the odds. Start by calling 1-888-4-STROKE or go online to strokeassociation.org. Join the power to end stroke. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council.
15: If this radio spot where Nikki Baker's life, it would start pretty normal, like this.
14: But, but then, then right,
15: right around here,
9: her life would take a bad turn with her mother abusing her. <clears throat> and about this far end, Nikki
1: would drop out of high school and run away.
9: Here, yeah, she'd be forced to work two jobs struggling to support herself.
1: And her daughter.
9: She'd feel stuck. 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 But so, then, she'd decide to earn her GED diploma. She'd take my
15: prep classes.
9: Study every night. And feels unstuck. Because she finally hears someone say... Nikki
15: Baker, come up and get your GED diploma. If this radio spot were Nikki Baker's life, the ending wouldn't be the ending at all. It would be the beginning of a brighter future. For free info about GED test prep classes, call 1-877-38-YOUR-GED or visit yourged.org. GED is a registered trademark of the
5: American Council on Education. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Johnny, and I am so needy. For Jesus, that is. I need to carve out time to be alone with him every day, not take telephone calls, not write letters, just be alone with him. And I'm not the only one. Moses was alone with God when the Lord revealed himself through the burning bush. Paul was alone in the Arabian desert when the Lord gave him personal instructions about preaching the word. Mary was alone when the angel brought her the message that she would give birth to the Savior. Isaiah was alone with God when he received his commissioning. Elisha was by himself with the Lord when the mantle fell on his shoulders. Oh, we could go on and talk about Joshua and Jacob, Daniel. They all received a special word from God when they took time to be alone with him. Friend, that's something to remember in your busy day. Be alone
4: with Jesus.
16: You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
4: Now, the, the views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of Talkshoe, Generated Productions, Soledad.com, and its sponsors. This is
3: Nation Talk.
4: Welcome back to more of Listen Talk here on Talk you and Jam Radio. It was on this day fifty two years ago when Cannus Kennedy Lovent Company where his wife Jacqueline, Vice President Linda Johnson, and Mrs. Ladybird Johnson, along with uh, Governor Connolly of Texas, all went together in Dallas. And as they say, the rest
3: is history.
6: And Joe waved, and I waved, and the man. That's all right, sir. you went. Sir. Cause he, cause he was waving back, he was, he was. The shot rang out, and he slumped down in the seat. And his wife reached up toward him, and he, he, he was slumping down. And the second shot went off, and it just knocked him down. From the seat. Two shots. Two shots. Did you see the man who did the... No, sir, I did not see the man who did it. I, I, All I all I did was look in the man's face when he was shot there and saw that expression on his face and grabbed himself and slide. And the second one, whenever it went, why, I'm positive it had hit him. I hope it didn't, but I'm positive it hit him, and, it, and he went all the way down in the car. Then they speeded up, and I didn't know what was going on, so I just grabbed the boy and fell on him in the hopes that there wasn't a maniac around him. I'm sorry, I
23: can't help you more, but I won't forget it. Still, we have a few additional details on what uh, took place aboard the Air Force jet, as it was still at the airport in Dallas uh, for the swearing-in of uh, President Johnson. He, of course, had been sped away from the hospital where President Kennedy had died just moments before. When he left, we did not know where he was going nor the route that he would take to get there. Security officials said later that this was for security reasons. When he arrived at the plane, he was, in fact, President of the United States, but he had not been sworn in, and the judge had been uh, taken to the field to perform this ceremony. However, President Johnson decided to delay the ceremony until Mrs. Kennedy, who was still at the hospital, could arrive back at the plane. When she did arrive, uh, the ceremony was staged in the the executive lounge of the airplane, and uh, President Johnson, with his uh, right hand raised and his left hand on a small Bible that had been uh, provided for the ceremony, took the oath of office as the president of the United States. Standing on his right was his wife, Lady Bird Johnson, and on his left, what can only be described as a stunned and grief-stricken uh, Mrs. Jacqueline Kennedy. Immediately, the ceremony was over. Uh, Dallas police chief J. E. Curry, who had driven with uh, President Johnson to the airport, turned to the first lady and said, uh, "The whole nation mourns your husband, but uh, God bless you, little lady. You ought to go back and lie down." Mrs. Kennedy said, no, thanks, I'm fine, and stayed where she was for a moment. But a few moments later, she did go to another part of the airplane, the compartment containing the body of the president, which was in the casket. And the reports are that she spent most of the return flight there along with the body of her husband. Uh, This is the announced order given from the White House this evening. Uh, The plane
24: is due in in roughly a half hour or so, about 6.05, at Andrews Air Force Base outside Washington, carrying President Johnson and the body of President Kennedy. At 10 tomorrow morning in the East Room of the White House, the President's family will go in to view the body. At 11 o'clock, President Johnson, Speaker of the House McCormick, and members of the executive branch who hold presidential appointments. At 2 tomorrow afternoon, members of the Supreme Court and the Federal federal Judiciary will go in to view the body. At 2.30, members of the Senate, the House of Representatives, the governors of the 50 states and of the territories, and at 5 tomorrow afternoon the body will be viewed by members of the Diplomatic Corps. There is still no formal word from the White House on when the public will be permitted to view the President's body. Uh, At the Executive Mansion they are thinking that the body will lie in state at the Capitol later for that purpose, possibly Sunday or Monday, and uh, still yet to be determined the family understandably trying to cope with what happened today rather than trying to look forward to arrangements for what must be done in the future, there is still no firm word of where final services for the president will take place, nor is there yet any decision uh, on where the president will be buried. There is, of course, the tradition of ceremonies in the Capitol, burial at Arlington for the president. There is also the fact that the president is from Massachusetts, that Uh, The family has exceedingly strong ties to and in the state, and it might well be that uh, the president's family will desire that the mass, the requiem mass, be said in Boston, perhaps by Cardinal Cushing, who is an extremely close friend of the Kennedy family, and that the president may uh, go to his final resting place in the Kennedy family plot in Massachusetts. Frank
11: by the tragic and sad
24: news
6: of the assassination of the President of the United States, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, and of the grave wounding of Governor Connolly. We are profoundly saddened by such a shocking crime, by the mourning which strikes through its leader a great and civilized country, by the sorrow which afflicts Mrs. Kennedy, her children, and all her relatives. Pope Paul's message continues. We deplore with all our hearts this event. We express the hope that the death of this great statesman will not bring damage to the American people, but will reinforce their moral and civil sense and strengthen their sentiments of nobility and of peace. We pray to God that the sacrifice of John Kennedy will aid the cause promoted by him for the defense of the liberty of peoples and of peace in the world. The Pope's message goes on. He was the first Catholic president of the United States
11: we remember
6: to have had the honor of his visit and to have found
24: in him great wisdom and
11: high ideals for the
24: welfare of humanity. Tomorrow we will offer a holy mass for the peace of his soul, for the comfort
6: of those who mourn his death, and so that not hatred but love will reign among the human race. That is the message to the American people
23: from Pope Paul VI. message from Pope Paul VI in Rome relayed by NBC's Rome correspondent, Irving R. Levine. Not only was uh, Mr. Kennedy the first Catholic president of the United States, he was the youngest, and his administration, which did not fill out its four-year term, will perhaps be best remembered by the extremely serious uh, challenge to this country, and indeed to the entire Western world, represented by the Soviet installation of guided missiles on the island of Cuba uh, in October of last year. The President's response to that situation uh, won him praise from all the leaders of the Western world. In the field of foreign affairs, it is perhaps true that history will record this as his most significant achievement. In the field of domestic affairs, although it's presumptuous to guess about these matters, it would certainly seem to his contemporaries uh, that his um, being confronted with and the reaction of the administration to the Negro drive for equal rights in this country will perhaps be listed as the major challenge uh, to his administration. We have
3: a reaction also from, do you have, uh, hard information But America
24: today is stronger than ever before. Our adversaries have not abandoned their ambitions. Our dangers have not diminished. Our vigilance cannot be relaxed, but now we have the military, scientific, and the economic strength to do whatever must be done for the preservation and promotion of freedom. That strength will never be used in pursuit of aggressive ambitions. It will always be used in pursuit of peace. It will never be used to promote
3: to say a moment ago.
25: President Kennedy has done some significant things in civil rights. At the same time, I must say that President Kennedy hadn't done enough, and we must remind him that we elected him. But I think the time has come for the President of the United States to sign an executive order outlawing segregation or declaring it unconstitutional. On the basis of the 14th Amendment, Yes, I had a very fruitful visit with the President. Uh, I discussed with him some of the problems that we are facing in the South and uh, tried to report some of the conditions firsthand uh, that we face uh, in the South at this time. Uh, he listened very sympathetically, and we had a, a most fruitful and rewarding discussion together. Well, I discussed some of the problems uh, in Mississippi that we are facing uh, at this time, Uh, the problems in Macomb, Mississippi, and also many of the problems that uh, students are facing uh, in seeking to get uh, Negro citizens in the South registered and voting. Uh, Also, I Proposed to the President an idea that I have been discussing for several weeks now, and that is a need for a sort of second Emancipation Proclamation uh, declaring all segregated facilities unconstitutional and illegal on the basis of uh, the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. Uh, just as the first uh, Emancipation Proclamation was an executive order. I, I don't think it is too much to ask for uh, a second Emancipation Proclamation bringing an end to segregation almost a hundred years after the first Emancipation Proclamation was issued. They're
3: from Bowling Air Force Base, where the
15: regular honor guard that usually batches the President, as well as welcomes him when he returns to Washington. An Army helicopter has just landed, making
16: a great deal of noise.
6: To take the coffin away.
16: The men are now struggling with the casket. It appears to be the casket, struggling to get it out of the
3: plane. Earlier today by Ray Moore.
24: have been
25: threatened, perhaps even tonight. Uh, What is it like to walk under this constant threat? Well, it's often difficult, but when you live with it so long, you almost uh, become immune to
6: being afraid uh, as a result of these threats.
25: Uh, I guess you have to come to the point of looking at these things philosophically, and uh, this is where I have uh, decided to stand. I believe firmly that this cause is right and that uh, someone must
6: have the courage and the fortitude to stand up for it, even if it means suffering or even if it means death. And uh, I have always felt that unmerited suffering is revenge. And even if I have to die for this cause, or uh, physical death is the price that others uh, have to pay, then. Uh, it is the price that is paid to free uh, the soul of our nation and to free our children from a permanent spiritual death. And in this sense, I think it is uh, very redemptive, or it can be, even if it occurs.
3: Thank you, Dr. King. Malcolm X, you were involved in a controversy some months ago with your leader. Is that over? Well,
18: I've been, I've been silent for the past 90 days because of uh, statements I made concerning the president of the United States, uh, which were distorted. They were distorted. And, and, yes. And, what did you and, say, Malcolm? Well, I said the same thing that everybody says that uh, his fascination was the result of the climate of hate. But only I, only only I said the chickens came home the roof, and which means the same thing uh, uh climate of hate means that this is this is the result of something and when I said chickens coming home to the roof, I mean, uh, chickens coming home to the roof, I said the same thing, but did you did- you did not say that you were glad the president was killed? No, that's what the press said. Uh-huh. What would I look like saying that I'm glad the president was killed? Malcolm, this is your first public statement in that 90-day period, is it not? First time well, I opened up my mouth in 90 days. That's why I'm talking so fast and so <laughs> hot <in. laughs> you, you, did, you feel, however, that uh, that we're making progress oh, no, in No, no. I, I will never say that progress is being made. Knife in my back nine inches and pull it out six inches. There's no progress. You pull it all the way out, that's not progress. The progress is healing the wound that's below that's me. And they haven't even begun to pull a knife out, much less try and pull, uh, heal the
3: wound. You have, have you have, they won't even admit the knife is there. <laughs> Here's a photograph that I published in Texas in the morning. And the White House
15: uh, photographer told, you can see that Lyndon lost a composure time a body hits a post, and he has something in his hand, and Lyndon is real shocked, and the uh, photographer said, that Kennedy, uh, Robert Kennedy, said to him, why did you have my brother killed?
24: Our president was the, uh, the gentleman and the human being, as man is not. Yeah. He's mean, bitter, vicious, and I in many ways. He's got this other side of him and this relationship, between the police, which would make it very difficult, unless you want to kiss his behind all the time. He's able to heat people up. Uh, I understand that, you know, he sends all kinds of reports over to you to, about me and about the Department of Justice. Not any that I've seen. Okay, I don't well, I just understand
17: that, that, uh, that he's got to be planning and plotting things. But he hasn't made a report on you or on the department.
24: That he had, that he had, had uh, sent reports a report about me. No, about mm-hmm. the He overthrew the government by person violence. No, no. He didn't
18: even that's a, that's an error. He never has said that or indicated or given any,
17: any uh, indication of it. As i say, we'll all get through. Mm, okay, yeah. I'll talk to you about that too. Bye.
15: He did have a back channel. He read them. him feel a little more
22: That's it. I just sniffled. Did you hear it? I'll be heading home now to prevent the flu virus that is currently raging inside of me from inevitably infecting all of you. You're welcome.
6: This is Walter guide in our newsroom, and there has been an attempt, as perhaps you know now, on the life of President Kennedy. He was wounded in an automobile driving from Dallas Airport into downtown Dallas, along with Governor Connolly of Texas. They've been taken to Parkland Hospital there, where their condition is as yet unknown. We have not been told their condition at Dallas in the downtown hotel room. A group has been gathered to hear President Kennedy when he's waiting his arrival. Let's switch down there now, where Eddie Barker of KRLD is on the air. As you can imagine, there are many stories that are coming in now, as to the actual condition of the president. One is that he is dead. This cannot be confirmed. Another is that uh, Governor Connolly is in the operating room. This we have not confirmed. The president was whisked from the scene of the attempted assassination, or assassination depending upon his condition of course at this hour, uh, by bus to Parkland Hospital. And uh, the president uh, undoubtedly is in the emergency room at that hospital, which would be on the first floor of uh, Parkland. No uh, word yet. We are awaiting something more official. It is, of course, difficult, certainly, uh, to go on scanty reports. Uh, this is Walter Cronkite back at the CBS newsroom in New York. We have just been advised from Dallas that blood transfusions are being given to President Kennedy. Let us Recall for you now what has transpired in. KRLD
11: is reporting
6: they've been by the is Well, that's the repeat of something that you heard reported to you directly a moment ago from KRLD uh, television in Dallas, and that is the rumor that has reached them at the, the hotel that uh, the president is dead. Totally unconfirmed, apparently, as yet. However, let's go back to KRLD in Dallas. operating room. We do not know what his condition is. But the report is that the president is dead. This is not confirmed. This is something that uh, were word just came to us a minute ago. The word we have is that President Kennedy is dead. This we do not know for a fact. The word we have is that he is dead, that he was sh- shot by an assassin, at the intersection of and Houston Street, uh, just as he was going into the underpass. The word we have is from a doctor on the staff of Parkland Hospital who says that it is true. He was in tears when he told me just a moment ago. This is still not officially confirmed, but as I say, the source would normally be a good one. That was Daddy Barker at our affiliate KRLD in Dallas, Texas, speaking from the room where President Kennedy had been scheduled to make an address to three Dallas organizations, but an assassin's bullets cut him down on the way to that meeting from the airport. It was just an hour ago that the incident took place. We have just learned, however, ever that Father Huber, one of the two priests called into the room, has administered the last sacrament of the church to President Kennedy. Regarding the probable assassin, The sheriff's officers have taken a young man into custody at the scene, a man 25 years old, we We just have a report from our correspondent, Dan Rather, in Dallas, that he has confirmed that President Kennedy is dead. There is still no official confirmation of this, however, it's a report from our correspondent, Dan Rather, in Dallas. We're now going into that Dallas uh, luncheon the President had planned to address. Let's go back to prayers so we understand are underway.
4: Here, all. All. <laughs>
6: Vice President Lyndon Johnson has not been seen in the corridors of the Parkland Hospital. He was uh, said to perhaps have been slightly wounded in the arm. Mrs. Lyndon Johnson says that the vice president, though, is fine. Throughout the streets of Dallas, the Dallas police had been augmented by some 400 uh, policemen called in on their day off because there were some fears and concerns in Dallas uh, that that there might be demonstrations, at least, that could embarrass the president because it was only on October the 24th that our ambassador to the United Nations, Adley Stevenson, Uh, was assaulted in Dallas, leaving a dinner meeting there. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard
3: Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Vice President Johnson (coughs) has left the hospital
6: In uh, Dallas, but we do not know uh, to where he has proceeded. Uh, Presumably, he will be taking the oath of office shortly and become uh, the
3: 36th President of the United States. remember what you were doing, exactly
6: what you were doing where you were when the news came from Dallas. Yeah, I no problem remembering that at all since I was at work and actually actually leaning over the teleprinter, the UP teleprinter at the moment the bulletin came. It just so happened, you know, as we all do, we're up and down and looking at the printer all day. And it just happened that at that moment I was standing there looking at it when the bells rang and Merriman Smith's first bulletin came over, the shots rang out uh, on the motorcade. And then, of course, it went on from there that the next bulletin was the motorcade was veering off its route, and then the motorcade seemed to be on the way to Parkland Hospital and so forth. It was uh, just a series of ever mounting horror stories. It wasn't long after that then that. You did the first break-in of the CBS Mm network. Yeah. As a matter of fact, when that first bulletin came, the shots rang out. Uh, I shouted around the newsroom right away, something's happening in Dallas. And it was very shortly after that, I mean, within a minute, you know, that the next bulletin was that they were turned off the route. And uh, uh, with that, I ripped the stuff off and was running into our general newsroom from our CBS evening newsroom. and delighted with people coming the other way, saying, come on, let's get on the air. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we had a small announce booth at that time in the general newsroom, which I dashed into, and we got on with a audio-only bulletin that interrupted the soap opera on at the moment, so as the world turns, I believe, wasn't
9: it? As the world turns. And afterwards... CBS was looking the world news.
6: turns In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. The first reports say that President Kennedy has been seriously wounded by this shooting. More details just arrived. These details about the same as previously. President Kennedy shot today just as his motorcade left downtown Dallas. Mrs. Kennedy jumped up and grabbed Mr. Kennedy. She called, oh, no, the motorcade sped on. United Press says that the wounds for President Kennedy perhaps could be fatal. Repeating a bulletin from CBS News, President Kennedy has been shot by a would-be assassin in Dallas, Texas. Stay tuned to CBS News for further details.
12: You seem, to so many people
6: watching, uh, to be pretty much in control of yourself and how you... um, May have been reacting inwardly to that news. You you got it out, and certainly that was the, the purpose, the job at the moment. But do you remember what was going through your mind? Well, y- yeah, I think so. Well, uh, but, you know, I think it's always so with, with us in the news business that two things happen. First of all, you're, you're struck with the enormity of the story, whatever it is. Uh, and immediately on top of that uh, you turn professional. Uh, it's uh, and, and your thoughts are on how you report this story and how you get it out. And then things are basically uh, professional with an underlying emotion, of course. Uh, and I think that's what happened during the camp the kind of thing. I know that's what happened. Uh, my, my reaction with each of these bulletins was, oh, you know, how, how frightful, how terrible. Uh, but then how do we get the story told in the best possible fashion? The point where, where the motion really uh, was hard to suppress any longer was when they had to say, he's dead. And at that moment, it was tough. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Vice President Lyndon Johnson (coughs) has left the hospital in uh, Dallas, but we do not know uh, to where he has proceeded. Uh, Presumably, he will be taking the oath of office shortly and become uh, the
3: 36th President of the United States. Basically, Things had gone very well on the trip. There had been
12: uh, really nothing out of the ordinary. The president had received a uh, very good reception in Fort Worth. came to Dallas. He had a very good reception at Left Field. The plan was it had been published in the newspaper what the motorcade route would be. He would take a parade route through downtown Dallas. And at a certain point, was a railroad overpass just past, just past what we now know to, to be the Texas School Depository. The motorcade was basically to end there; that is, the parade part of it would end there. The motorcade would pick up speed and go to the trademark, trademark, uh, some distance from there, where the President Kennedy was to make his central speech. Uh, and we had set up the CBS; we'd set up along the parade route a few places where, because we were dealing with film and videotape, where the people who were in the White House press corps contingent, photographer, correspondent, White House correspondent, but the photographer who was on a truck bed, sort of thing, to film the motorcade, put people at pre-designated places where he could drop the film in a yellow shipping bag CBS News on the side of the old grapefruit bags. We still use them. And you know, quickly the grapefruit bag, person at the designated spot, throw the grapefruit bag off to that person, and designated that person could run it back to KRLD where I was, and we would begin assembling the piece for that day's broadcast. I was not to do the piece. The the White House correspondent would probably do the piece. But we had set up uh, these drop points and everything was uh, going really well. Uh, beginning. We did not have a drop point at the, where the overpass was. The President's motorcade was a left in front of, of the of repository, go down a little bit underneath the railroad underpass. And things were going very well. And quite frankly, I kind of wanted to see what's going on. And said, well, I'll go to that overpass. Well, we hadn't predesignated it as a place for a drop. Okay, motorcade was going to be slow right there. So if they have any film at that point, you know, I can kind of leave here, here and go uh, to just beyond the overpass, which is where
3: that'd be the last slow point the motorcade was going. There, uh, I, didn't,
12: I didn't hear any shots. I didn't know that anything had gone wrong fairly big crowd over in front of the school book but there were very, very few people where I was beyond the tunnel. Uh, Underpass, it was a tunnel. But I thought that the I thought I saw the president's limousine really speed pass going quickly split, but it happened so quickly I wasn't even sure it was his limousine. I said, well, was that the president's limousine? And, I wasn't sure. And there was it, it was confused, but what I remember thinking is the rest of the motorcade is not coming, which indeed it didn't. It stopped. The camera car and the pool car and other things I do would be in the motorcade. Didn't come through. The, this all happened very very quickly, and I also thought I wasn't certain, but I thought that the, the president's limousine, if that's what it was, I'm saying that. I can't, was it? And then I thought it went in a, in a direction that I wasn't sure it was the direction of the trademark. I thought, well, that's not going to happen. All this happened So I, I went back to see what I thought well, for some reason it was a case that held up. And you know, beyond that overpass was uh, chaos. Um, rather confusing
3: More of Nation Talk right after this.
13: and get your GED
15: diploma. If this radio spot were Nikki Baker's life, the ending wouldn't be the ending at all. It would be the beginning of a brighter future. For free info about GED test prep classes, call 1-877-38-YOUR-GED or visit yourged.org. GED
5: is a registered trademark of the American Council on Education brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad
4: Council. Morning inspirations on j 2.1 tomorrow morning. 6 a.m. right here on Talk Q
3: and Jam Radio. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
4: Well, we're about to wrap this up, and uh just wanted to... Say thank you all to everybody who tune in who download us who frequently listen to us from time to time I want to say thank you all to everybody i mean everybody uh i want to, i want to um wrap this up in a in a more funny Uh, a comical way. Someone placed this, posted this on Facebook. I thought it was funny. I I listened to it this morning. Excuse me. I listened to it this morning. And I, I thought it was
3: really good. Um... It's a rapper. I'm trying to find what his name is. Name is but anyway.
4: He um he posted this
3: on Facebook and um someone shared this. and he said, I
4: got this one got this off of one of my friends page. Just thought that it was funny. It was it was so funny and cool.
17: And uh
4: I, I wanna wrap it up with this. Don't forget tomorrow morning, morning One is on January or two point one. Uh you talk to you and Gem Radio. The views and pieces of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of Talkshoe. Generated for dot and its sponsors. This has been Nation Talk, a public affairs program. The air Sunday nights at eight PM Eastern Time. Join us next Sunday for another Nation Talk here on Talkshoe and Gem Radio.
3: I bless you and good night. And uh, enjoy
22: But equally with the president He's probably the worst president in the history of our country Old
13: man Old man, old man Not again Not again. I learned a lead from Mandela You could never check me Back to back, like my terms in office, they couldn't get me. Back to back, like two duelers that's about to take them paces. Uh, back to back, like Trump's divorces, I've said it, now face it, oh. I think she's important because of its riches. And when I look back, I might be mad that I gave his attention. Uh, but it's weighing heavy on my conscience. And now here comes the man straight out of washed. Uh, I'm convinced that this man is a straight insane. I sure to let you, the vision host, shorter bane. you gonna make me buy bottles for John McCain. Make me go buy you a new toupee. I heard there's a price tag on your back. I'd be more concerned where El Chapo's at. I'm not sure what it was that really made you mad, but you can't diss Mexicans and try to take that back. I mean, whoa! Oh, I can't vote my country, man, they know something. I wrote these bars while my show gave me a shoulder run You'll make America better. I laugh so hard, I'm crying. Um, oh my god, why are you always lying? See, Trump's the type of dude that mocks the world's poor. Uh, but is the world poor or your soul poor? I know that you're trying to get known more, but this is the nonsense you got fired from the apprentice for. Uh, check it right wingers turn to slur slingers. Yeah, you get embodied by a left winger. I'm not the kind of dude that's going to be kind to of dude. And shouts to Clinton she's about to trump you. So make sure you ask him what are those? Then tell that man to hit the roll. He'll tell another one, and then another one. And DJ Khaled of lies. Here comes another one. I had two turns They went back to back. Yeah, they went back to back. They ask if I can run again. Back to back. Yeah, they went back to back. Uh, I don't want to hear about the severer again. Uh, not even in the end when he don't even win. Uh, not even when you tell me, Bama, tell him again. He'll say anything for press, but he hates boxing friends Oh, his bias needs to stop. Him. You don't see the whole picture, call him petty Well, Winter's coming and your campaign's flying south. It's time to stop talking, you should watch your mouth. Play, the GOB hates you, they're like G. Oh, play, his tan is orange, just in time for Halloween. Play, but orange ain't the new black, you're not me. Play, he gon' fall off like his wig in the braids. Uh, somebody stop me, been watching Narcos, I'm feeling cocky. I'm probably going too hard. You're feeling trapped. I'm going to give you a break from these bars. Kit Kat, I had two turns. They went back to back. Bars, yeah. Oh, they went back to back. They're going to ask if i to run again. Back to back. You took shots at me, and now it's dead for tat. Got him,
3: got him, got him, got him.